It's actually my honour to be able to present this today. It's not often that I get four people who represent such a broad cross-section of our industry to talk about something which is just so pressing for us, for our clients and how we work day to day. I think I might position Google and Bing at opposite ends of the panel. <laughs> Adrian, do you want to join me? So Adrian is our global agency director for Bing. We've actually partnered with them on some research earlier this year. So hopefully he's going to be able to take us through some of that insight around how people are searching and what it means for our brands. Um, so welcome, Adrian. Thanks very much. Delighted to be here. Mark, do you want to join us next? We work quite closely with Bright Edge. So that's why Mark is here today. He's a bit of a veteran of the search industry. So he's been agency side for quite a long time, but joined Bright Edge five years ago. And as Jack mentioned, they sit on a wealth of insight that we already use across a number of our clients today, which really inform our SEO and content optimization strategies. So thank you very much for joining us. No worries. Benjamin, Benny, look that, from Diageo. So one of our clients here to join us today. And Diageo are actually doing some really interesting stuff in the voice search space and thinking about how they can get closer to consumers and really build that experience. So hoping to hear more on that later on. So thank you. And then finally, last but not least, Simon from Google joins us today. And he's a real authority on voice search at Google. He actually led the Google search app launch. And he also works very closely on the team who deal with Google's flagship assistive product on the Pixel. So really exciting to have you here today to talk about the technical implications. So really broad section of the industry here today. Fantastic. I've got some questions I'm going to be asking and hopefully grilling them a bit. So an easy-ish one to kick off with, maybe. And so I was doing a bit of research yesterday as well about who was joining us today and who our guests were. And there's about £25 million worth of search investment sitting in the room at the moment every year, wow. which is a phenomenal number. And I guess <laughs> the first question I have, Adrian, sitting at Bing, do you think that voice search is going to prompt our clients to invest more or less in the future? Great question. And thanks very much for the £25 million. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> some to Google as well. Yeah, some some for the other side. <laughs> I think more is the short answer. To give a little bit more depth to that is actually from the joint research that we put together. One of the things that we saw is that the query length definitely increases with voice search much more than text. And also there were some quite surprising things that showed where some of that logic as to why the query length increases that came out of the research. If we think about it, actually, something I found quite surprising from that data was the starting query terms. So, for example, the how and the what make up 75% of the voice search queries, whereas the where makes up 14%. Now, I would have thought it would have been the where terms. So, for me, that was quite surprising. So, I think when you look at that and see that people are definitely giving a longer tail, as you've already shown, experience in search. By definition, that means that there's going to be a lot more query volume. We already see that there's 18% of all queries across whichever search platform you're using are brand new. So I think this is going to accelerate it even faster. Wonderful. And I've got some questions later on about monetization, which I'm definitely eager to ask. But Benny, over to you from a client side, do you think you're going to be investing more? And I guess also are there any kind of considerations for voice search today that you're thinking about? 
Yeah, I think yeah, obviously in general, uh, the voice for us is, is, or is massively high on the agenda uh, search in general. And, and I guess a lot of what we need to do is w with any new emerging technology is sort of look, look at the hype cycle and decide what is there to stay. From our perspective, voice without a doubt is there to stay because we look for technologies that are scalable and that add real utility to our consumers, to our audiences. Voice is one of those examples where it actually makes the journey more intuitive. I think the examples we've seen before where it actually is really touching all demographics in the US, actually one of the really interesting data drivers for us is as well that old audiences are actually some of the earliest adopters of voice technology because it is more intuitive, because it is easier. So we're definitely convinced that's an area that can be really big for us and some of the opportunities, how in a lot of cases it really becomes a winner takes it all market. You, you might ask, uh, how do I make a Mai Tai? And it's actually the, the first bit of content or journey that takes you on is actually what you stick with because you don't have that same browsing habit. So a lot of really interesting opportunities. And I think we, we really want to be a leader in that area in our industry. So I hope there'll be more investment coming. Yeah, wonderful. And obviously we're talking about winner takes all and so much of that is talking about kind of content and content strategies. But Mark, from the insight that you're seeing and how people are searching and how brands are taking advantage of that, do you think that there's more room to grow and that brands need to lean in a little bit more? Absolutely. And for the brands here today, don't beat yourself up too much if you don't have a strong voice search strategy. We surveyed our customers at the start of the year. 2,000 customers, 69% of them didn't have a voice search strategy in their plan. But I can tell you now that's the number one topic I get asked every day in my day job. But I can give you some ideas of what you want to be thinking about and, and, and taking on board. So I think definitely disappointed in 2020 if you're still calling it a voice strategy it will be your search strategy it will be that paramount so this is definitely a first mover advantage for those who start building out your content you might not have the payoffs you want straight away but you're building an infrastructure a content infrastructure that's going to help you in the future and uh, as part of that looking at the search data build, looking at those search trends and then informing your content strategy based on those search trends. So for what, how our customers use our technology, BrightEdge, we have a huge data set of over 3 billion keywords and content in our BrightEdge data cube. Within there, we help filter out what are voice search related content from either your site or your competitor's site. And what our marketeers then do, and our agencies like our prospect, or our largest partner, take that data and start informing their content strategy. So then they can imply schema, good technical, and good internal linking, and then building out a really strong content strategy as part of that. Wonderful. So mentioning schema markup, and I'm quite keen to get into behind the scenes and what happens at Google's end. So when consumer searches by voice, we've mentioned some of the things that we as advertisers and clients and agencies should be thinking about. But Simon, what's kind of happening back end and why is that important? Okay, that's a very large question. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> You've got two minutes. Yeah. <laughs> Panel over, basically, <laughs> right. Probably the right way to describe this is, is really maybe to give a sense of what's happening in those one second, sub one second response times when users actually do issue a voice query. So something that's obviously very different from doing a text query is we need to actually understand the voice, the language, the words that you speak. And the technology that we've been developing to basically understand your speech is something that 
has been improving over the years. We've progressed from a point where our word error rate, which is kind of the industry standard for how well a computer can actually recognize your voice, has progressed from being rudimentary, I think, would be charitable, to being something that's actually, depending on the language and your dialect and kind of where we're currently investing, is getting on par with human recognition. This all happens in the blink of an eye and in a kind of a asynchronous streaming way. After that, after we've actually understood or got a, a couple of rough hypotheses for, for what you've actually spoken, what happens next is kind of incredible, actually. We rewrite, effectively, a lot of these queries, explode them out and generate more hypotheses for us to evaluate and rank. And following that, each one of those hypotheses gets annotated for natural language components. So, for example, if there's context, if there are people's names in, in what you've spoken and so on, we're able to, to pick them out and identify them. Following that, that bag, actually, it's, it's more of a, a massive list of potential hypotheses, is then matched against all sorts of potential answers that we have for those that bag of queries. And again, there's a ranking process there. This is kind of the tip of the iceberg, actually. There are many, many steps after that, including how we then decide what to respond and how we formulate, for example, the text-to-speech that can sometimes speak the answer out rather than just delivering 10 blue links. All this happens in about a second, a bit under a second, uh, depending on where you are. So with that in mind then, though, I just drawing some of it out, and this is maybe a question for Mark as well, around SEO. And there has absolutely been a move for the computer to understand the human rather than the human having to understand the computer. So with the differences in, in how people kind of speak rather than type, what does that mean for SEO is my first question. We'll get on to the monetization later. Well, I think having that more natural language content is going to be key. But if you're a global brand like Diageo, trying to do that globally has many challenges as well. So this is not a one-size content solution just applied to 64 markets. So that search and take data is really, really key. And understanding those intents, I'd say, definitely the key foundation. And is there any trends, I guess, Adrian, you've mentioned some of the work that we've done already. Is there any other trends and way that people are interacting with devices that you're seeing at Bing can kind of fuel that strategy as well? Yeah, definitely. So in the way that the language is represented is the, is the key trend that we're seeing. And again, actually, it was highlighted earlier, but just to go a layer down, when I look at this, there's something that we talked about in, again, in our joint research about the intent signals that we get from voice search. And actually, the intent signals from voice search and the way that the language is used gives marketers a lot more depth to be able to work with. I'll give you an example. So in text, if you search for beef stroganoff recipe, I love beef stroganoff. I love cooking it. For me, if I'm searching that, it's probably going to be that I'm going to cook it because I cook it a lot, but I might be looking for a different recipe. In that text basis, you can't really tell as a marketer exactly what you want to do with it. Whereas in voice search, the difference is completely tangible. In voice search, I would say, how can I cook a beef stroganoff? But I might want to go and buy the ingredients when I'm in the text going for beef stroganoff recipe. So then it would be, what do I need to buy as ingredients for a beef stroganoff? So in text, it's the same language, but actually when you layer in voice, the intent signals are so much stronger and a lot easier for us to be able to market against, I think. 
Yeah, and I guess it also feeds into personalisation as well. So, Benny, I know that you're thinking a lot at Diageo around how we take that first-party data and think about how you enrich that brand experience and build that consumer relationship. Can you share a little bit with the audience around? Yeah, and, and I think it's it's tough to talk about voice without talking about conversational commerce and really how we understand that. But that's ultimately, for us, a, an incredible opportunity. Something that really excites us is actually being able to really sort of mirror users' language and really get into these insights in a really conversational way and I think that's already something we're starting to see at a very small scale if you look at areas at real uh, passion points food pairings how how people frame the occasion that they might enjoy a drink in is, is again it's it's actually less utility driven in a lot of cases than through uh, text space so voice gives us a really interesting opportunity to almost broaden the relevance and the influence of where our brands can play and then looking at that long tail and really unearthing new opportunities. I think that's the part that, that really excites us and search is obviously a key factor. But for us, having conversational offerings based on Alexa skills or others to help people create cocktails around occasions or, or create uh, entertaining occasions at home, I think that's a really interesting opportunity for us to play in. I'll just give another practical example. So you know, obviously, iProspect is incredibly strong performance-driven agency. And when you look at these things, you might always be looking at that immediate ROI. The challenge with voice search, and especially from a content perspective, is this actually can play a really strong part, is looking at that full purchase intent. So after sales or customer service is really key insights in voice search. Practical example, BT. We work with BT. They use our data in their customer service team. And they've been mining that data to understand how do they find a better experience for the consumer or in the post-sales perspective that can find that content within one click and start using that data. And that is very much voice search driven. But that's going to help them long term drive better retention and grow their business. But that is very much a in their search mix. And that's, they're not looking at that from that immediate, I've just invested this much of my agency, I've got this much back. They're building an infrastructure that's going to help them in the long term. I guess that moves us quite nicely on. So, Benny, you've mentioned skills. I assume you're referring to Amazon Alexa skills. Talking about like long-term engagement and skills and actions and bots being kind of equivalent to apps and how we used to think about those. So, I guess a more pointed question around how much are you thinking about your voice strategy being not just how we interact on the engine, but also how you're building out those actions and bots and where your focus is at the moment. Yeah, and, and I think that's that's sort of the exciting part right now. It's a, it's a rapidly evolving industry, lots of different players in the mix. I think the Amazon approach is obviously very different and it's an interesting one, the, the skill approach obviously mirroring more the app ecosystem and a question if that's something that consumers will, will buy into and how that is evolving. But we, quite frankly, for now, we want to test and learn and play on all these fronts. I think there is a really relevant role to support that. But it, it is sort of Diageo we've probably been speaking about the last 15, 20 years about why isn't there one great app that, you know, everyone goes to to create their cocktails at home. Okay. And the answer is because consumers don't want it and there isn't, isn't a real need for it. We, we don't know where the journey is going to go to, which systems are, are going to prevail. But we, we definitely want to explore that on all fronts and take a bit of a leadership role in, in seeing how we can position ourselves. I think a lot of the search things is about getting our foundation right, our basics right, making sure that the content comes up in the right way. But things like conversational commerce take a really 
big role in that, especially how the combination of voice and screen, sonic branding and, and sort of visual stimulus and how we get that balance right and support that. And I think there's voice st strategy is always a big word. I wouldn't claim say we have a voice strategy. We probably don't, but we, we definitely have areas we're exploring and we think could be a really interesting win for us. And by the sound of it, just really focusing on utility and all the insights around what consumers actually, actually want to interact with. Yeah, right. yeah and uh, just on that, I think that's another realization that we have. Obviously, when you start talking about voice, quite often the conversation goes to, oh, yeah, brilliant. What would Captain Morgan sound like? Right. And that's why, you know, there is a brand experience pace in the future. It, it, it seems like we're still so much rooted in how do we drive utility, get the basics right and really enable that rather than creating, get into the app scenario again. Why would you want a Captain Morgan skill where you have Captain Morgan talk to you? There might be 15 people out there who want that, but they're probably already drinking Captain Morgan. So let's not worry about them. So it's about getting that utility driven focus right. And I guess we talk a lot about skills. Google have their own offering. So Simon, what sort of things should brands be considering? How do they move into this area of developing Google Actions and, and what should they consider? Right, so yeah, our platform is Actions on Google. You can go and look that up on your favorite search engine and find your way there. <laughs> Sorry. This is why I set you <laughs> That was a low uh, blow. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, what was the question again? <laughs> Just to Jack's point about going back to the office later on, yeah. what should people be considering about their action strategy and, mm -hmm. and how mm -hmm. they have the resources or work with your platform to develop them? Right, right, right. Okay. I think in general, this, this kind of comes back to how I think really the stage that I think voice is at right now as an opportunity. I think the first thing that is hopefully clear from listening to everyone is that we're all working this out and this isn't just our users, but it's also us as technologists that, that build these systems the way I like to think about the opportunities that we have is that voice is very much an additive quality. So although there was the white search box, that actually, when you think back to it, was the revolution in itself, right? Before then, finding what you wanted on the internet was a cumbersome and labor-intensive process that was, was very difficult. Along came the white box, it got a little easier. That was within a desktop context. Now with mobiles, mobile devices, and other computing devices, like for example, Alexa and, and Google Home, you have a computing device that's more with you in your day-to-day -day in a whole raft of different situations. But even then, there are cases where, for example, pulling your phone out, starting typing on it, isn't the right thing to do. It's actually cumbersome again, and it's difficult and it's tricky again. This can be when your hands are busy, like for example, when you're driving, when you're cooking, and I think some of these examples have been brought up, right? So there's a big opportunity there, I think, for thinking of these kind of situations where a mobile phone actually, even though they're everywhere, they're actually not everywhere. And thinking through what those situations are and thinking about how your brands can deliver value to users in those situations is probably something to, to really think about. The second thing we're kind of touching on in the, in the scope of product research is that mobile devices, for all of their successes and their wonderful things, they are not as easy to use for complex tasks, I believe, as, as a desktop. And, and in, those, in those situations where, for example, you, you're looking to research a holiday, or a more complex task. Tapping around on a small screen can be a frustrating task and can take a ton of time. And in those situations, actually thinking about how you can leverage voice to effectively short circuit all of this complex tapping around is the other huge opportunity, I think, that we see. And in terms of brands, I think the right way to think about this is rather than thinking about it in terms of a highly specific intent, like for example, you might get if a user is asking a very direct search query, how about if the intent was quite general? 
So for example, I'm hungry, or I want to make a cocktail, like to speak to another, another of the examples. What, what sort of system would we build there? So actions on Google both allow for brands to plug into the first of these, which is these kind of answering, these direct type of intents, but also it allows you to plug in more conversational recommendation systems such that you can explore these actually more interesting, I think, conversational recommendation type of environments where you can actually develop a more personal relationship, I think, with your users and provide real value where they would struggle, for example, I think in the in the recipe example, to kind of dig through all of the recipes on a mobile phone app is it's a complete pain. But if there was a recommendation system that could step users through asking relevant questions, for example, when you're, when you're cooking a beef stroganoff, there are a ton of questions that, that you might want to ask to make it just how you like it. In those situations, a voice assistant can definitely help you make food that is tailored to your tastes or drinks that are tailored to your tastes and so on. So I think those two areas are probably the way to think about voice right now. And it's not just on the Google platform. I think all of the players out there offer the APIs and the platforms to allow you to explore developing systems to satisfy user needs. So my final question before I hand it over to the audience, with that in mind, Mm -hmm. and it's about deeply personal, really building that relationship, monetization. Obviously, the iProspect view, we spend quite a lot of money. We've already spoken about 25 million in the room. What are the kind of first thoughts, Adrian, from you guys in terms of how this is going to become a paid experience and when we're going to be able to pay for one result, more results? So actually, something that's really worth talking about straight off is the existing monetization that exists without thinking about what that new ecosystem even looks like. Because as something that I find really fascinating and re-amplified by your own research is 740,000 people in the UK that are 65 plus are using voice search. So when you think about the growth and we've got in our industry a bit of, bit of banter, a bit of humour about the year of mobile that became the decade of mobile. Voice search doesn't look like that. It doesn't feel like that. So it might not be the sole interaction, but wow, has it come from nothing to something really quickly. And because most of the interactions are still happening in a place where a search results page is served, that's clearly the first focus for monetization because that is still 100% monetizable. And as we know from, I mentioned earlier about query strings and where that's going it's definitely tangible. It's definitely here. And I don't know about you, but my parents and grandparents, it took them a long time to go out and buy a mobile device and start using it. Whereas 740,000 people in the UK is not a small number that are already engaged in this experience. I think it's because it's just so much more natural to engage with. And then as, as advertisers, for a start, they need to obviously partner with somebody like iProspect. Sorry for the blatant sales pitch, but you get it. You're there. You're investigating. You're doing your own research as well as partnering with us on it. Advertisers that don't necessarily know where to start yet need to be able to work with you to help understand what that strategy and what monetization can happen from it as it currently exists today. I think also just to build on something that Simon said earlier about the ecosystems and things like that, because again, that's really important as we think about monetization. Actually, brands often think that this new world they shouldn't get involved with yet, or they think that you need massive big budgets to get involved. You don't. Whichever route you go down, whether it's just pure voice, looking at the longer tail expansion, or looking at the wider democratizing AI that we see that's out there, which doesn't have any monetization on it at all right now. There are things that you can absolutely do today that you don't need the big budgets to do as long as you work with an agency that gets it. 
but you're not giving me an answer on a voice search ads just yet. <laughs> Thank I think, you. I don't, I don't think anybody knows the answer to that right Thanks, now. Thanks, Adrian. <laughs> so with that, is there any questions in the audience? So that was, how are you adapting to voice search right now? And what are some of the long-term implications for SEO and paid search? So I think, as I said earlier, we're approaching it really twofold. One is making sure now we get the basics right. I think a lot of the insight that was mentioned before, looking at the long tail, looking at how voice-based search is different, uh, using any other insights we really have on how our, our consumers relate to our products and that tying that into our search strategy and getting that right. That's probably step one. I think there is also a, a realization sort of that we really need to stay on top on any developments. One thing we're very curious about, we've already seen in, in certain search results, how things like cocktail recipes, how the combination of voice triggered search and then visual stimulus, how that works in positioning our content in the right way to show up there. So getting the basics right, so we have the content right. On top of that, we're obviously looking at all the different players in the ecosystem. Who do we need to partner with and ultimately understand this is something driven by external innovation, right? All the work that Google is doing and being in Amazon and others to really partner with them to understand what's in the pipeline, what's coming up. Something like Amazon Show, which is a really interesting development for us because that's specifically designed for the home kitchen space. So it's so something where you understand you, you want a hands-free environment, but you still need the visual stimulus to prepare your meal. How is that content shown differently? How is that journey different? How can our brands appear in that? So I would say it's sort of an ongoing getting the basics right and then picking very specific sort of test and learn areas and external innovation partnerships that we can use to explore and evolve while this whole industry is developing. Part of it is just putting it very high on our agenda and committing the resources to make sure that we can stay quite agile in, in terms of responding to that. Thanks, Benny. I'd better not ignore my CEO again. So, Stefan, what's your question? So, in our research, we had a bit about the audience. And, Adrian, you talked about 65 plus, I think 740,000. It's back to school day today for my kids. So, I don't know if anyone else has kids. But the first thing that my daughter did, who's five, is she came down very excited in the morning, new term, new year at school. First thing she did, pick up the iPad. She goes into YouTube Kids, right, which is an amazing application. What's amazing about YouTube Kids, though, is that because it's for very young children, the search bar is kind of incidental a little bit, right? Because a five-year-old can't really type a search query. The thing that's massive on YouTube Kids is the microphone sign. So my daughter, what she can't search, she can't spell, she can't type yet. She just hits the thing and then searches for Peppa Pig, right, using her voice. So I guess my question is, so we talked a little bit about the older demographic, but that kind of made me think, right, there's a whole generation of kids who their first search is via voice, right? What do we think is going to happen? I guess it's directed at you, Simon. How do you think that is going to change behavior when your first search is a voice search? What is that going to mean in 10 years' time when she's 15 or purchasing age? What's that going to mean for us as brands? Because there's going to be a whole, you know, within 10 years, there's going to be a whole lot of kids whose first experience of search was voice. Okay, so casting my mind out 15 years into the future for everyone. Let's see. Regarding your daughter, definitely the sense that I think, at least I felt when I first started working on voice, which is that this is somewhat awkward or somewhat sort of strange to be talking to my phone or my device, won't be there. 
that barrier that people have that probably we all share to a degree of, well, I'm talking to my phone, this is a bit odd, is probably going to be not a thing that your daughter thinks about 15 years. Rather, it will be a primary mode of interaction with the device. And as I talked about a second ago, will be obviously the most expressive means of, of accomplishing whatever she wants to get done. So that's the first thing that I think voice will lead to. And the second thing is that what's interesting there is that, of course, your daughter will, will learn to, to type and she'll learn to write and, you know, learn to read like super well and all this kind of stuff. In other parts of the world, this actually is also a big challenge. So literacy in the UK, you know, we look at literacy and, and we see 99 plus percent literacy. Whereas depending on where you go, that number is far lower, actually. And the ability to, to even type or, or even read characters on the screen is something that's not a given for a huge portion of the world. So in terms of the long-term impact on computing, voice or more broadly sort of speech technologies, which aren't just limited to us understanding what users are asking for, but also being able to return to them information in a format that they understand, will be a big enabler. And just to give a sense of scale here, Literacy in many of our very, very large emerging markets is sitting, depending on which gender um, you're looking at, sitting around 65 to 75%. And that's where literacy is defined as something like, with effort, the user can formulate a, a very simple sentence. So for, for that swathe of the population, and by the way, this is obviously a gradient, there's no sort of classification. For those people who struggle with the written word, I think speech will be a huge enabler. And this is kind of a more general point, but as the world increasingly gets more interconnected and as, as people travel around for work, you may well be literate in, in your own language and able to read and write in your own language, but for whatever reason, you might find yourself in another country and find it difficult or challenging there to, to read and write in the language that you can converse with. For those users, again, speech is an amazing enabler. So I, I think there are all these different possibilities that will be opened up by speech for people who today at least do struggle to use mobile devices. Thank you so much. A huge thank you to Adrian, Mark, Benny and Simon who've joined us this morning. That was really fascinating.